Well, during this season, we are going through a series on assurance. Certainly in this season in which there don't seem to be a lot of assurances or sure things, we are reminded from the Word of God that there are many things that we can take to the bank as believers in Christ. We've already spoken of the assurance of salvation and forgiveness of sin. This morning, we'll be looking at the assurances that we have from God's Word that we do and can have victory over sin. I'm especially indebted to a couple uh, sources this morning. The first is a uh, little booklet put out by the Navigator's Ministry uh, on assurance. And the second um, really is a great series of lessons put out by Patrick Curls, the executive minister at Trinity Church Montgomery uh, several years ago. Before we look at God's word, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. So Lord, we need you. Thank you for showing us more and more how much we need you. Help us, Father, in this season to turn to you and to depend on you more and more that as we look back upon this time that we will see great spiritual growth. Help us to love you well and to love neighbor well. Help us to follow you and pursue you and to declare you to others. Lord, we pray for those especially who are struggling emotionally, physically, spiritually, and otherwise. We pray that you would meet them in their needs. For those who seem to have no hope, for those who are overwhelmed, help them, Lord Jesus. Give them joy today. For those who are struggling with sin, perhaps even secret sin during this time of being apart, we pray that they would experience victory in Christ. We pray, Father, as we look at your word, that you would help us by your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. We're going to be looking at several texts this morning, but the first uh, comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin continue to still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it will stand forever and ever and ever. So often when we face temptation, it kind of feels like we're like the moon. 
You know, the moon has no ability to control its orbit, its distance, its path from the earth. It is completely under the grip of the gravitational force from the earth itself. So oftentimes we feel like the moon in which we are being sucked in, like a tractor beam in Star Wars, getting the good guy ship and pulling it into the belly of the bad guy ship. We feel like we don't have a say in it. We feel like sometimes we can't resist sin. Are you there now? Certainly, if you're not there now, we've all been there at points in our lives. Now, before we were believers in Christ, that was actually true. We were unable, unable to say no to sin because we could only rely on ourselves, and we ourselves, we're the problem. But now that we're in Christ, we can have assurance that we can. In fact, we do have victory over sin. Perhaps you need to hear that this morning. There is hope. You can have victory. We'll see in our time together this morning that we can have this victory over sin, and in fact, we already have it, based on three things, and perhaps many more, but this morning we'll look at three. One, we have a new relationship with sin. Our relationship with sin has been redefined. Uh, Second, we have the Holy Spirit living within us who causes us to obey God's uh, word and helps us to walk in his statutes. And then thirdly, God promises to help us when we face temptation. Well, we've just seen from Romans chapter 6 how our relationship to sin has changed. And that's our first point. Our relationship to sin has changed. It used to be that we were like the moon around the earth. We were like the ship caught in a tractor beam, unable to say no to sin. In fact, uh, Romans 6 tells us that we were indeed once slaves to sin. But don't you remember what we looked at last week? Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. John 8, if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christ has come and he has freed us from the power of sin over our lives. We have a new relationship, and we see this in several verses of chapter 6. Verse 2, when Paul is answering the rhetorical question, hey, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Some of the strongest language he uses in all of the New Testament. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Our relationship to sin is one of death. It has died on the vine and it no longer has power over us. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive uh, to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, it's a great promise. For sin will have no dominion over you under its control no dominion don't you love that Um, you know kudzu was brought to our country as an ornamental plant and for cover for ground but it's a terrible thing isn't it it takes over and so often before we were in christ before we were believers sin takes over and it controls and it blocks the sunlight to our bodies and now something has happened though You know, it's hard to kill kudzu. Ultimately, you have to get down to the roots. And if you get the roots out, if you cut the vine from the roots, you starve the the vine and the leaves from the nutrients they need. And, And that's really illustrative of our new relationship with sin. The vine has been cut. It no longer has power over us. Galatians 2.20, in fact, tells us that we've been crucified with Christ. 
Our old selves, our sinful selves, the flesh, it's been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, Parker Johnson, insert your name, but Christ who lives in me. There's a newness to the life that we have that's different from the past. And in the life I now live in the flesh that you see me walking around in, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ came in making us alive and making us dead to sin. How then are we still to live in it? My old self, my sinful self, the part of me that was in a rebellion against God, that's been taken by Christ on the, crucified, on the cross. It's been crucified with him, and it no longer has power over us. This then changes our fight against sin. Satan would have you believe that you are powerless to say no to sin and temptation. My friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not true. You know, one of the things that transformed my fight against anger in my life was when someone finally told me, Parker, you can stop being angry. You can say no to anger. And perhaps that sounds, um, well, of course that's right to you. But if you've ever been angry like that or struggled with anger, it can feel like you were a victim, that there is something raging inside of you, a, a nuclear reactor that you can't stop. When in reality, if we're in Christ Jesus, we can. And that goes for every sin. Now, you can't do it on your own. We have to rely upon the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But the relationship has been changed. The chains have been broken. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are free in Christ. Well, so how can we have victory over sin in our lives? Well, it belongs to us already because we have a new relationship, a new relationship to sin. Uh, we are no longer slaves to it. But, but there's another thing. If you have a Bible, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. This text is ultimately going to tell us that we have the Spirit within us. We're going to learn several things, but the first reason we have victory over sin is because our relationship to sin has changed at the cross. The second is that we have the Spirit within us. Jesus tells us, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. This text tells us several things. One, it tells us that we are cleansed of our sins. Ultimately, we looked at that the last couple weeks. That it is the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats, not our good works, not by trying to make up for past things that can cleanse us from sin. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that will do it. Receive by faith as we trust in Christ for salvation. And when we become believers, we're going to get two things. We're going to get a new heart, and he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. We're going to get a new heart, and we're going to get uh, the Holy Spirit. This is what... Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. He needed to be born again. He needed a, a new heart. He needed to be born from above. He needed to be, theologically speaking, regenerated. Something that we can't do on our own. God has to do it for us. 
You know, it's amazing that we can do transplants of organs. But especially amazing, isn't it? Uh, it's just crazy that we can do heart transplants. So the, the one organ, well, one of the organs, right, that has to be working all the time for us to be alive is physically removed from your body and a new one is put in. That, that just amazes me. So, so think about this from a salvation perspective. The old heart is taken out that is pumping poison through our veins, affecting all of us, not doing what it should. And a new one is put in, bringing life to us. Now, in order for that to happen, someone must die. That's the hard part of organ transplants. Someone must die in order for there to be life. When we become believers, really even before we call upon God in faith, we are given new hearts that changes who we are from the inside. With this new heart, our, our affections and desires changed. God takes out our old heart of stone, our poisoned heart that only pumped death and sin and temptation and bad choices through our veins, and he gave us a new heart, a new spiritual heart, a fleshly heart, so that we might have eternal life. And this happened only because there was death. Only because of death of the God-man Jesus. Praise God he didn't stay in the grave. So that we who are believers, as we fight, as we fight temptation, as we remember that our relationship has changed, and now we have a new heart within us that, that begins to beat after God and not the things of this world, that our heart now begins to be grieved over our sin, that we now are struggling with sin, whereas before we just liked it. God is in the business of changing you. And he's not going to stop until we are conformed into the image of his son, according to Romans chapter 8. He's going to give us this new heart, or he has given this new heart in salvation, changing our affections, sometimes more slowly than we would hope, right? But he's going to give us his Holy Spirit. He has given us his Holy Spirit in salvation. When we become converted, the Spirit comes and dwells within us. We see this in verse 27 that he will put his spirit within us. And, it, and here it is with the express purpose of causing us to be obedient, causing us to walk in his statutes and to obey all his rules. What this means is that before we had the spirit working in us, we couldn't obey his rules. But now that the spirit is within us, he helps us. Don't you know that when we rely on our own strength, bad things happen? I can't remember a single time in my life where I've said, you know, God, I've got this, and it turned out well. Can you? So when we fight temptation, it is a game changer that the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within you. Can you say no to sin? Well, in and of yourself, no. That's because we're the problem. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. As believers in Christ, we live spirit-filled lives because the spirit dwells within us. We are now the temple of God, and where God goes, there is power, and he helps us. Have you prayed in the midst of temptations, Lord, by your spirit, help me to say no to this temptation? It feels so strong. It feels like I can't say no. Oh, Lord, help me by your spirit. Well, we see these two things so far. We have victory over sin, and we can't have victory over sin because our relationship to sin has changed. We're no longer slaves. Two, 
God has worked inside of us. He has put a spirit within us, and, and we have uh, a new heart, right? There's a third thing here, and that's that God promises to help us in the midst of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Know that whatever situation, whatever temptation you're struggling with, there is a way out. It is not inevitable that you fall into this sin, period. I know it can feel like that. Believe me, I know that feeling. When it feels like that you have no power over this thing. Well, that's a lie of Satan. There is always a way out. Now, it might cost you. Indeed, it might cost you your life. But if it costs us our life, if we're believers in Christ, what is the end result? Well, we'll be in the presence of God. And so if we're willing to make that sacrifice, how much easier should it be than if we had to lose a few friends? Or if we had to remove ourselves from a social situation? Or if we had to go what we perceive as embarrassment? God's going to give us a way out. He's not going to leave us hanging. But he's also not going to let you be tempted beyond your, your, your ability. Now, let me say this. He, we are tempted all the time beyond our ability in our own flesh. But he's not going to let us be tempted uh, beyond our ability as we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Period. The power of God resides within us. And so we can say no. And he will meet us in that moment. Indeed, as he provides this way out, he, he also limits temptation. He's not going to let things get out of control. I think sometimes we fear that. God's not going to let things get out of control. <laughs> they may be far beyond our control, but guess what? We were never in control to begin with. <sighs> Isn't that good news? God promises that he will not tempt you beyond your ability and that he indeed is restraining temptation. Just like he put restraints on Satan when he went and dealt with Job, he is there with us. You know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us um, that as we struggle, we are to rely on him. That his grace really is sufficient. It really is sufficient for everything. And this includes struggles that we don't want to tell other people about. Do you remember what the beginning of this verse said? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, um, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Satan would have you believe that you're the only person within your circle of friends or the church or ever at all in all of history that you're the only one that's ever struggled with this sin. Oh, he loves to isolate us. He loves to, to make us feel like we're alone. My friends, there's, there's nothing that we struggle with that's not common to man. That means that we really can be open about it. That doesn't mean you have to tell everybody everything. But you probably need to tell somebody. And, and really, as we tell somebody, as we tell a, a beloved friend or a pastor or a counselor, God begins to bring freedom to us. As the light is brought to bear on what is in our hearts, God brings freedom. Choose someone you trust. Come talk to me, please. Church number 867-5395. My email is parker at fpcbruton.org. Reach out. Let's talk. Well, 
we have victory over sin and we can experience victory over sin because of these three things. One, our relationship with sin has changed. Two, we have the Spirit living within us and we have that new heart that God gives us. And, and three, God promises to help us when we face temptation. Let's talk about some practical strategies, though, as we think through fighting temptation. <clears throat> the first thing we need to realize, it's a daily fight. It's a daily fight. If you're not fighting today, you're probably losing. A great Puritan uh, whose name escapes me says, we're either fighting sin or it's kill- we're either killing sin or it's killing us. We should expect a daily fight with sin. You know what? There's nothing um, unique about that. If you're fighting daily, then it means you're doing your job. The Christian life is hard. Now, it's a gift. It's salvation from Christ alone and through faith alone, grace alone. It's all those things. But now that we fight sin, it's tough, tooth and nail. In fact, it really gets harder as we walk with Christ, because as we walk with him more and more, he shows us our sin more and more. The things that used not to bother us suddenly as we grow spiritually, we realize grieve God. And so he convicts our hearts and causes us to fight those things too. So we must have that daily fight. That daily fight against sin, and then when we fall, daily confession. Where we come and we ask God for forgiveness, confessing our sins to him specifically for things we have done. Calling sin what it is, identifying it, seeking to understand how it has power of our lives, power that we give it, and then denouncing it, saying, hey, I'm done with that. Walking away. So the first practical step is that they, realizing it's a daily fight. The second step is, y'all, we have to flee temptation And don't make provision for sin. Don't leave place for it in our lives. If we struggle with watching things on television that are unhelpful, and we leave the cable package the same and the uh, remote right next to our chair, are we really fighting temptation? No. If we struggle with looking at things on our phones and don't do things to... Uh, limit our access to them or add accountability partners? Are we really fighting sin? Well, no. We're continuing to open ourselves to sin. We think that oftentimes we can get close to sin and look at it and then not fall into it. That's just setting ourselves up for failure. When I was um, four years old, I was riding in a golf cart. Uh, and I decided I really wanted to see what the rear wheel looked like when it was moving. Well, by that evening, I was in the hospital, spending the night overnight with a concussion. It explains a lot about me if you know me, right? Well, looking back, I, I should, I, I, it seems obvious, right? If you lean over the side of a golf cart in motion, trying to look at the rear wheel, you're probably going to fall out. But so oftentimes as we fight sin, we think, oh, let me get a look at that. And then we're surprised when we fall into temptation. My friends, flee. Flee temptation, which leads us to our next point. You may have to radically amputate something. What do I mean by that? Well, it's the principle of doing what is needed in order to remove yourself from temptation and not fall into sin. We get this from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5 about, hey, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. 
If your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Now, of course, he's not using literal language here because then we'd all be blind and we'd all, we, none of us would have any limbs. He's using a word picture here. He's talking about, hey, sin is serious. Get serious about dealing with it. Dealing with sin may cost you something. It may mean that we need to change people, places, and things, as the saying goes. It may mean that we have to say no to some friendships. It may mean that we need to get rid of the television in our bedrooms, or it may mean that we don't have internet at home, or it may mean that we limit our exposure to social media as just gossip just enters our head, or envy as we begin to see all the pictures of all those perfect people on Facebook who have wonderful lives that we don't. By the way, the, those things are staged. Um, it may cost us. It may cost us. Are you willing to do what, it's, what is necessary to fight sin. We do this as we rely on the church. We don't fight sin in a vacuum. We don't fight sin alone. Although a lot of times we do fight sin alone. But we need each other. Bearing one another's burdens. If someone's in sin, you who are spiritual, are, are called to come together and, and deal with the person in a spirit of love and gentleness. Bearing each other's burdens in those seasons. When's the last time you called a brother and said, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Why don't we do that more? I think it's because we're afraid that people will find out that we're actually sinners. <laughs> and that we're actually struggling. And Jesus says, look, you're not defined by this temptation. You're not defined by this struggle. You're defined by Jesus and his righteousness which means we can deal with things. I think the last practical step of fighting against sin is, is hiding the word in your heart. Perhaps it should have been the first, I don't know. Um, the Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Don't you love that? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The reality is that none of us can multitask. It's a lie. We may be able to swap from one thing to the next pretty quickly, but we can only focus on one thing. And so when we find our minds and our hearts or even our actions focused on something that is ungodly or beginning to head into temptation, by having some Bible verses in our memory banks, in our minds and in our hearts, to begin focusing on that, it helps us physically perhaps even to stop going towards something and instead moving towards God. Now that sounds familiar. That's called repentance. As we stop moving from one thing, turn and begin turning towards God, that's what repentance is. And so we focus on the Word of God. You know, it doesn't even have to be something related to whatever sin it is. It just has to be something good. Whatever is good and holy and uh, helpful. Uh, think about these things, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4-ish. Um, are you hiding scripture in your mind. God uses his word in a powerful way to change us. It is really one of the primary ways in which he changes us from the inside. The, the word, sacraments, and prayer, these are the main ways that God has ordained that we would grow in grace. Well, if you're like me, uh, I am longing in this season of the coronavirus to get back together, right? To 
to be able to sit in the pews, to have you to look at. You know how um, hard it is to preach into a camera that's four feet from my face? I would love to be my brothers and sisters in Christ and to hear you say the Apostles' Creed back to me, to sing together the glory of God. There's that holy longing and that holy longing for what hopefully won't be a very long season, I think points us to a grander longing that grander longing of Christ coming back and not just dealing with the pandemic, although that'd be great, but dealing with every problem that has ever existed in this world. You know, and one of those things that he's going to get rid of, along with the tears, along with the suffering, along with pandemics, along with loneliness and depression, he's going to get rid of temptation. Wouldn't it be great if we got to live lives that were free of temptation? that came from inside our hearts or those, those things around us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. My friends, Christ is coming back one day. And when he does, he's going to remake everything. And our hearts no longer, we, he's already dealt with the uh, power of sin at the cross. He's already dealt with the guilt of sin at the cross. And one day, the presence of sin will be gone. And I yearn for that day. Do you know Christ Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you experienced God? Not just some concept of God, but the God who created all things. Who loves his people even though they rebelled against him and sinned against him and were guilty before him. He loved them so much that he would send his only begotten son into this world to live the perfect life that we could not. To die the perfect death of the sacrifice. To pay for our sins so that if we trust in him, we can have everlasting eternal life. Even as Christ was raised on the third day, those who believe in Christ upon their conversion receive life. And we look forward to the life to come when our bodies are raised from the ground, when Christ comes again. I do hope you'll be part of that as a believer. I do hope that you'll be raised to everlasting and immortal life one day. Turn to him. If you've never experienced victory over your sin, if you've never experienced salvation, turn to him and he will save you from your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory we have in Christ, that he would take upon Satan upon the cross and he would defeat him there. And that the power of death and hell and Hades and sin has been broken. Lord, help us to experience that more and more every day. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.